So we're going to do a really basic uh, study on who is God. And, and rather than do characteristics of God in that terms, in, in that uh, way of doing it, that kind of theme, here are some of the things we're going to talk about. I'd love for you to write these down for a couple of reasons. One, two weeks on June 5th. We're going to, at the ranch, have a worship meeting, which is where we kind of plan for the 12-week series in what we want to do in terms of our worship and service on Sunday mornings. So this is an opportunity for any of you who are interested in being a part of that to kind of think through this series and think about how we can incorporate some of these ideas into our worship services. All right, so that's June 5th, I think. It's a Sunday. It's two weeks from today. You'll just go grab lunch, bring it over to the ranch, and we'll have a conversation kind of like what we did with Song of Solomon where we just get input from you on how we should approach this in terms of our, our um, you know, Sunday morning service and some things we can do throughout the week to really engage people uh, in worship in accordance with this, uh, this series. Okay, so that's um, June 5th. Let me give you kind of what we're thinking in terms of our sermon titles for this. That way you can start thinking through this uh, and beginning to either devote some time to um, maybe devotional time or just get ready for our worship on Sunday morning, whatever that is. Uh, we're going to do a part one and part two on is God an angry God? And we're going to spend our time in the Old Testament scary passages that no one wants to, to talk about. Um, so that'll be fun. Uh, we're going to do something on the names of God and what that communicates about um, the, uh, not so much on the character of God, although that will be a part of it, but on why people name God certain things. Like, what are some of those stories where God gets a name? Because God only gives himself really one name, and so a lot of these other names have more to do with how people perceive and interpret God and his behavior. Uh, and so that, that's going to be one of our, uh, our weeks. Uh, some of the worst misrepresentations and misconceptions of God. Again, we'll go through the scripture and try to kind of find examples of this being played out in the lives of people. God is a father. Am I going too quickly? Yes. Yes. Sorry. Is God an angry God? I don't think you need to write part one and part two on that, okay? You can just, yeah. Uh, names of God, particularly on why people name God certain things. And there's a lot that's said in all of that, and, um, well, well, I don't want to get too, too much into it now. So, yeah, names of God. Uh, misrepresentations and misconceptions of God. Okay. God as a father. The mysteries of God's personality. And we'll try to balance that one out with what we need to know about God we know in Jesus. Is this a better pace? Yeah? Sort of. Sort of. <laughs> We'll probably post this on Facebook, all right, uh, so that you have access to it. Um, and by probably, that usually means if I remember later on today. And I'm thinking I'm probably going to take a very long nap this afternoon because of how sick I feel right now. So um, maybe I won't remember it. But if someone else does and you want to post it, that would be wonderful. Uh, God is love. And we'll try to kind of talk about exactly what that means, that very cliche and sort of overused statement. Uh, we'll talk about God being available, and we'll preach from the Psalms on that one. I'll give you the sermon title today, which is the longest one, um, later, okay? And uh, God's spoken word in the prophets will be another one. God's spoken word in the prophets. 
And then the last one is God's work through individual people. Uh, and, you know, we'll kind of, there to be a connotation there of just his relationship with individual people in the scripture. How do we account for that? So those are going to be kind of the 12 weeks. Uh, did anybody miss any of them? Want me to repeat any of them? One no? through eight. One through eight? Yeah. Uh, great. Um, so just different ways of talking about who God is. And again, the goal of this isn't so much to teach you, although I'm sure you'll learn some things, but the real goal of this series is to get us having conversations in our various communities with other people outside of our community about God. And starting with the real basic um, ideas about who God is and being able to engage people. And so uh, that's just one of the main themes over the summer. I mean, this is a great time for us. Many of us already kind of know each other in here. And uh, this, I think, is just a great time for us to really try to get more involved wherever we're at. I mean, that doesn't mean Denton necessarily. It could mean your work. It could mean uh, places that you're already invested in. I don't know what that means. But just to try to start to talk to people more about God uh, who are outside of our community of faith. I think some of us, have, we, have this sort of sheer, we have this perception that we have a shared understanding of God. And so sometimes we don't even talk about some of that stuff. And certainly, you know, a byproduct of that, we'll be talking about that within our own um, you know, sphere here. But is to kind of equip you to engage people to, to do this and to talk about this uh, in, uh, in and around the community that you're in. Okay, so that, we'll talk more about that each week as we give you practical steps on how to do that and where to do that. And, um, but that's really the goal of our summer series, okay? We're going to try to keep it pretty basic and, um, and even a little bit more devotional than it has been in the past. And rather than trying to go through and convince you of really, you know, deep and difficult truths, um, or rather try to encourage you to really spend time with the sermon material throughout your week in devotional with God and talking about that with, uh, with other people. Um, and I'm going to explain a little bit more of that uh, uh, here in a moment. Let me talk about the small group real quick. Number one is we're going to offer reframe again this summer for anybody who uh, hasn't gotten a chance to go through that. We'll probably take six or seven weeks um, of that series of 10 and go through it every other night on Tuesday. So most likely our small group will only meet every other Tuesday. And then on the off Tuesdays, we'll do that reframe class. Reframe, for those of you who don't know, is basically a, uh, how to think about our jobs and our workplace as just an extension of our ministry. And one of the things that we've really done and uh, tried to encourage over the last year in our church, and really year and a half, is making a smooth transition from college life into the working world. And uh, we're still trying to figure out how to do that and how to give people a vision and how to give them excitement for being in the workplace. And so I think we're developing that attitude as a, a church. And so this reframe material is just a step in that direction. These are 30-minute talks from the folks up at Regent College in Vancouver Folks that have come, you know, like uh, Ian Proven and Rick Watts, people who've come down here to speak at our winter camps. And so it's just great material. And the, the uh, group of our leaders who have just graduated, our chulas, are going to lead that. And so that's going to be uh, starting in June. And so any of you who want to do that, we'll have a sign-up next week, and, uh, and we'll go from there. Okay? Sound good? It's called Reframe. Chulas. That's our secret leader group that we don't tell anybody about. <laughs> What does that word mean? None of us really know what it means. It doesn't mean sexy, does it? Okay, good. It's dirty? That's fine. It's okay. What can I say? Um, so, that'll happen. 
And we might do another group on Tuesday nights, too, uh, that's kind of a specialty group like that. So if you guys have any suggestions or whatever uh, on the off weeks that we're not meeting on small group, I've thought about maybe doing a book series or something. Bill Hybels writes a book that I still haven't read that Leslie recommended called Walking Across the Room, which is just some real practical tips on uh, how to really be the gospel to people in the places when sometimes it's really hard for us to do that. So who knows? We'll, we'll figure that out as we go. Small group itself, we have no ideas for necessarily. I mean, we have a lot of ideas, but we don't know exactly what we'll do. But any of you are welcome. Even if you're a college student, you're welcome to be part of our adult small group uh, over the, uh, the summer. Okay? And we'll give you more information about that when we have more information about it. So that'll be really good. All right. Uh, so this is less of a sermon and more of an encouragement. But with me, who knows? It might take a while. Really, I, I think it might not. When I practiced it, it was only about 12 minutes. But uh, I also was distracted a lot by the dogs chasing me in my backyard and the horses and everything else. So we'll see what happens. Um, my encouragement to you, and, and I'm going to try to unpack this because this might be the most difficult of all the sermons, I don't know, even though I'm trying to keep it very simplistic, is uh, learning how to relate with God in both the here and now and the then and there. So relating with God in both the here and now, meaning sort of like in our present experience, in our present day and age, but also really engaging and relating with God in the then and there. Most of what we have in the Bible is the then and there. It took place in a specific time period with specific actors and people who were involved and engaged with God through various stages of life. And I think we run a little bit of a risk in our modern way of thinking about the world that suggests that our own individual experience is really kind of like the only important experience. That we can't fit God into our current way of thinking about the world and current way of living, then somehow it doesn't really apply to uh, you know, our lives at all. And this creates all kinds of problems with us. Now, I think the equal and opposite problem of that, which I'll identify in just a moment, is that we think of God as only having acted in the past, and that the most important thing is to just sort of understand this ancient God that doesn't seem to really be very involved in the stuff that we're doing now. As sort of two poles, two different extremes uh, of thinking about God and how God works. I think if we're honest, some of us probably have tendencies, maybe one way or the other. But even at one time of our life or the other, we might be you know, going from one end to the other. We kind of th- think of primarily God as having worked at some point, even if that was some point in our lives. But more often, at some point in the scripture. Uh, or if we primarily think about God in only ways and in terms that have to do with our current experience. What I'm doing now, how I'm engaged in life now, and, uh, and those kinds of things. So I want to encourage you throughout this series to really engage both your knowledge of God and to grow in your knowledge of God, but to also grow in what I'll call your experience of God, okay? So relating with God in the here and now, meaning kind of the experience of God that we have, and the then and there, which is the knowledge of God that we have in terms of how he acts and who he is, okay? So the here and and now, the then and there, knowledge, experience, yeah, maybe. Okay, well, we'll see what happens as we move on. So we have this word in the scripture that uh, that's, you know, faith, a word that means if you try to kind of get someone to define it, it would be very challenging. Um, We have this very high thought of faith in the scripture, and yet faith from a scriptural standpoint, is a pretty basic thing. I'm going to show you a passage a little bit later on where Peter talks about faith as being sort of a foundation and a baseline. 
And in order to really do in life what God wants us to do and be who he wants us to be, we've got to add a lot of stuff to faith. Um, If we're not careful, we think of faith as sort of like an end-all, be-all. And that's not exactly the scriptural standpoint on faith, I don't believe. So, faith, um, which I think maybe in our modern parlance, our modern language should be better broken up as belief and trust, right? That makes a little bit more sense to us, I think. When we talk about having faith in God as both believing in God and sort of his existence, right, and that he's working, and actually trusting him with all the aspects of our daily life. Okay, sort of two aspects here. Now, I think belief and trust are as dependent upon each other as knowledge and experience are when it comes to relating to God. You can't possibly break these two things up. And when you do, you have a disjointed faith or a disjointed relationship with God. And I'm going to try to explain this a little bit you know, more now that I've given you kind of the basic idea here. So, belief and trust, both very important uh, components of faith, are as dependent upon each other, meaning that they kind of go in tandem, hand in hand. You can't really have one effectively without the other. In the same way that our knowledge of God and our experience of him go hand in hand. You, you can't really take them apart, or at least you shouldn't, even though it's really easy to do that. So let me give you an example. If I'm someone who is a trust-only kind of person, and actually I think that whole denominations have sprouted up emphasizing one or the other of these, as if they're a choice that you have to make. There's all kinds of these false choices in, I think, our modern day and our modern way of thinking about the world. The whole secular and spiritual divide, as if there's two separate realities. The physical and spiritual divide, as if those are two separate realities. Object, uh, uh, objectivity and subjectivity. And I don't mean those in terms of the personality type. I just mean in terms of that somehow we're capable of thinking objectivity, object. Thank you. (laughs) So it's good when God humbles you, you know, uh, in front of others. And subjectivity. So I'm not talking about personality types here. I'm talking about thinking about the word subjectively. Yep, did it again. (laughs) It's going to happen, you know. It's going to happen. So we have all these false choices we got to make as if one or the other. To just give you a real quick side note, which is not going to be applicable, I don't think, but I'm just going to say it because I've said this for years now. Christians should be a lot more skeptical of Socrates than they are. I hear way too many people talking about Socrates as if he was this really great and wonderful teacher. Socrates was not such a great teacher for Christianity. He often portrayed truth in terms of polar opposites that you had to make the choice between. And he would sort of in his reasoning with people, pin you to making one choice or the other. And in that sense, he was an authoritarian. He really liked looking at the world from an authoritarian standpoint. Not to mention the fact that he believed wisdom was something you were born with and not something you could be taught, which is a whole other terrible way of elite thinking, elitist-type thinking on the world. But just in case you come across, and I'm not saying many of you do, I don't know, but some article that praises the you know, thinking of Socrates, and you think, oh, yeah, you know, this is a good guy. Uh, you might want to question that a little bit. Because I know all of you guys come across articles all the time praising Socrates, right? Yeah, okay, good. Let's make it sure we're all in the same boat here, yeah. Just yesterday? Yeah, that's good, that's good. Um, so, a lot of false choices we have to make, okay? I, I gave you some of these. Even the rational and emotional, as if, you know, we can sort of operate in one or the other and they're not sort of dependent 
um, upon each other. Well, so we have the same issue when it comes to belief and trust in God and, and our knowledge and experience of him. So if I'm someone who comes from a background where I really was encouraged to have blind faith, just simple trust in God, not a trust in God that really had a whole lot to do with knowledge. I think of this as the modern healing movement in our society. And I could, I could do a whole lot of other examples of this. I'm not just pointing to them. But the modern healing movement ultimately says, we, in our intern class, we have a group that researches Christian scientists. And if you grew up in that background, I'm not trying to you know, nitpick your group and call them heretical, even though I do believe some of their ideas are heretical um, as a you know, cautionary advice or warning. This idea that God heals people always, and it's in his regular business of healing people from physical sicknesses. So if I'm in this trust-only camp, where I'm sort of blindly believing in trust-only, and my experience has been that God has healed these people in my lives, and then all of a sudden it comes to a time where it doesn't seem like God healed that person that I really wanted him to heal, then what happens to my faith? It's sort of like, wait a second, God did something out of his character. The problem is when you don't have knowledge in those situations and you recognize that in the past God has healed some people and he's not healed people and we've got to be very careful in our beliefs of those things, um, then we might portray God and our trust of him as it's just a blind trust, a trust that's not based in any really good evidence or particularly biblical ideas of who God is. The same issue on the other hand. If our ideas of God are simply based in our belief system, but we don't seem to have very many experiences of God. When someone gets healed, we might tend to think, oh, probably not God. Yeah, we have this sort of skepticism that God could heal people. Uh, my parents grew up in a movement um, that was pretty against modern day spiritual gifts, the Church of Christ movement. And they had the kind of extreme Church of Christ movement. And it's such a silly, apologize, okay, <laughs> way of looking at the world as if God somehow can't manifest himself in spiritual ways. Now, I understand some of the rational underpinnings or, you know, foundations of these thoughts, but of course God heals people when they're healed. I mean, if not for just the fact that he gives doctors the abilities uh, to heal people, and if not that he gives us the ability to heal people, I think the real question becomes, is he directly healing somebody in this individual case by a direct action of his hand? Okay, that's sort of the question that people get uh, really caught up on. But if you're operating in one of these two extremes or the other, um, it's sort of a, a, uh, um, a stunted way of, of understanding who God is. Because either my trust is blind and it relates only with my individual experiences, many of which probably aren't really experiences of God as much as they're just experiences of my own human happiness that I've attributed to God, nor my knowledge of God alone not connecting with any experience, which I would say probably more of you come from that background, I would, I would assume, that you have all this knowledge of God that hasn't really played itself out in experience. Okay? You can say one thing in terms of your beliefs and your understanding, and then you meet someone who seems to go against a lot of those ideas and beliefs, and you think, hmm, what's happening here? My belief has failed me. Let me give you another example of this sort of knowledge only and experience only thing. And I know this is a little bit complicated, and I mean, everything I feel like I do is, seems to be complicated, mostly because it's complicated in my own brain. So hopefully this is something that you will work out, but we will incorporate into our sermons to some degree. It's just the basic and simple idea 
is that when it comes to relating with God, we have to relate with him in both our knowledge of him, which we've been given from the scripture, and actually have a day-to-day experience with God. But that manifests itself in not just a knowledge thing that we do passively in terms of learning about him, which, by the way, is itself an experience, but that's too far to get into, but actually experiencing God day-to-day in our lives. What does that mean? Many of us feel like we don't experience God much. And it's not because God's not moving, and it's not because God's not doing things. It's because many of us, we rely far too much on our knowledge of God than we rely on our experience of God moving and what he's doing. And our knowledge is insufficient to inform us on the experiences that we have. And uh, we'll talk about that here just in a moment. So the, the second example here, so knowledge only. When we tend towards knowledge, we have this perspective that God doesn't really work around me. Just do. When we primarily think about God, we think about God, there's this sort of past tense to all of that. Well, he worked in that way, he worked in this way, he's this way, he's that way. And it's a way of narrowing our understanding of, of where and when God works. A lot of focus of people who focus on simply their knowledge of God uh, really miss out on where he's working. This ultimately was the problem with the Pharisees. When Jesus told them in John 5 and verse 39, you know, you diligently study the scripture and you've missed me. How is that going to happen? They knew so much. They had so much knowledge of God and so little experience of him that they missed him entirely. And we've got to be really careful of that. In some ways, it's, it almost seems like knowledge works against our experience with God. At least Paul would say that when he talks about knowledge puffing up and the idea of love building up. That love as we experience it with people has a tendency to you know, move up and up and up. And knowledge just has a tendency to make us think we know things that we really ought not, that we really don't know. Uh, in experience only folks, right? Well, this tends to be uh, uh, also a really narrow view of God's work because it has to do primarily with how God works in my individual life and it often has a whole lot to do with how he makes me feel, okay? When we think about worship as primarily an experience with God, we miss the fact that worship is supposed to be something that's increasing our knowledge of God too. That as we experience God in worship, we're learning more about who he is and, and, and what's in his domain. We have often made experience, uh, worship as simply an experiential thing. We come, we worship, hopefully we feel nice as a result of it. Hopefully we get that feeling like we're close to God. And if we don't, we walk away and we think, man, that experience of God this Sunday. Just really didn't get it. We don't expect to learn something. Oh, I mean... Arguably, a lot of our songs aren't very good at teaching anything. They're trying to kind of manipulate your emotions so that you think of God like a wet, sloppy kiss. What's that one song that's been changed? We've sung it at church before. It always makes me like, I mean, I really get a little red. I blush when we sing it. What's that one song? Yeah, how he loves, blush, kiss, sloppy kiss. I'm sorry, but come on, that's, that's just too far for me. I mean, as someone who is not a very expressive person that does not make me feel closer to God that makes me feel like really uncomfortable feelings about God you know uh, now I understand some of you may feel differently and that's okay and I, I think we can we can figure that stuff out but when worship is geared towards only this experience we will miss out on on really uh, you know knowing God this is one of the reasons why it's so hard for us sometimes to experience worship in our daily lives because if it's not manipulative in terms of our emotions, we don't think of it as worship. 
we often equate experience with emotionality as if, if, as if those two things go together. That my experience of God has to emotionally, you know, make me feel one way or the other. I don't, that's not real life. <laughs> um, but we, we equate those two often. I, I find this one really struggling, uh, a challenge too. When people talk about God doing incredibly specific things in their lives and attributing that to God. I don't think the argument is whether or not God can do those things in your life. The question is whether or not he seems to be so engaged in the various tiny aspects of your daily life to the exception of these bigger things in the world. Okay? Like when I get a great parking spot and God has just offered that parking spot to me. And I'm like, wow, God, you have a lot of time on your hands. Watch out for me here. Um, You know, so it's this lack of broad understanding of what God's doing in the world around me. He seems to be only doing these very small things that make me happy. Um, And wow, there I think is an over-rotation in terms of experiencing God. We don't have a a real sense of where he's working. And then we go to work after we get out of our car and God isn't working anywhere. But thank God he worked in that parking spot situation. Because that was the most important thing for me today. He's not working at my job and not working with my coworkers, but that parking spot, thank you God, I'll remember that one. Um, So we've got to kind of balance these two out. We've got to figure out how to really relate with God in a way that, you know, is, is based on who God really is. But also a, a way to really in, learn how to experience God in kind of a daily format. That we're constantly experiencing God's grace. And I think a lot of this stuff is not, it, it has a lot to do with our mind and how we think about the world around us. Uh, and in our heart too, sure. I mean, it, our emotions, absolutely. So I want to read 2 Peter 1-11 through 11, and I want to give you this charge this week to go back through this and really think through this passage, Okay. And I'll tell you the same advice that I, I often give when um, I'm talking about reading scripture. And it's one that uh, I was told in teen camp, one of my first teen camps I ever went to. I didn't grow up in teen camp. So, you know, when I was like 16, I heard this at a teen camp and thought I wasn't even a Christian at the time. And I thought, wow, that's really weird and cool. But ugh, what? Um, and the guy that was speaking just said, whenever you read scripture, you ought to try to figure out what does this say about God's heart. You guys have heard me say this a lot because it's incredibly important. When we read scripture from a knowledge standpoint only, we're looking to learn information. Impressive information, background history information, all the information that is about gaining knowledge to feel secure in our knowledge of God. Or we might read scripture in an experiential way where it's just sort of, I want to feel good today. I want to have some quick thought that's really going to make sense for me today. I would argue that both ways of reading Scripture are incorrect. The best way to read Scripture is for me to really figure out what does this say about God's heart in a way that I'm learning about who He is and in that learning experiencing God through His spoken word to me. Kind of crazy, but they both happen simultaneously. It's pretty wonderful too. Rather than separating these two as completely different. Uh, so uh, first, or Second Peter uh, 1, 1 through 11, I'll just read it from, uh, from up here. Take some time this next week to go through this and think about it and ask the question of what does this tell you about God's heart um, and, uh, and you know, try to kind of uh, think through this idea of knowledge and experience of God. What does that really mean? Uh, okay, Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, 
to those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ have received a faith as precious as ours. Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. I won't go too much into this, but you have these same words being you know, kind of reused over and over again. And uh, I, I think, at least in the way that I interpret and read this, he's talking here about these two important things. This sort of passive knowledge of God and this experience of God as it plays out in our life and the things that we do and the relationships that we have. Okay? Uh, through these things, he's given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, which sounds awesome, and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Sounds more vague, but equally awesome. But here's the part I want to focus on, because I think this is primarily what, what I'm saying here, or at least attempting to say. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge. This is really interesting because I think in part what he's trying to convince us of, in other editions in the NRSV, this whole goodness thing just talks about morality, being a good and good person. You might think, well, how does that relate to experience? Um, Jesus in John 7, it's another verse you might want to write down, talks about if you really want to know whether I'm from God or not, do what I say. It's almost like this kind of like, not sarcastic, but just terse kind of like, fine, you really want to know if what I'm saying is true? Start doing what I'm saying. Then in obedience... We very much experience and begin to rely and grow in our trust of God. Because we, as we obey him, we realize, oh, all that stuff I didn't want to do before that I'm doing simply because I'm trying out God has really paid off. It's worked. There's challenges with it. It's difficult. It's hard. But there's an obedience factor in all of that that allows us to experience God. Um, and it's, uh, in a way, it's sort of circular. We obey God. We experience God. We obey God. We experience God. Um, he's saying that in order to, to really be productive, which is a weird word to use here, but, you know, we don't have time. Um, you've got to add to your faith that experience of God and obedience and that knowledge of him. But these are basic level things. All these other things, they grow and grow, and, you know, there's, there's stuff on top of it. But if we're going to really be the kind of people who um, relate to God in a proper way, we're going to add to that basic level of faith both a proper knowledge and understanding of who God is and all of his mystery and all his complexity and all of his simple aspects of who he is and the experience of having experienced him every day. Sometimes this obedience in this experience of God turns into moralism and legalism, doesn't it? We begin to obey God simply so that we can feel justified by who we are and what we're doing. But he's saying that's not what goodness is here. Goodness is, is, is something that's developing your faith. It's something that's growing you in your trust of God. And your ability to the next time that thing comes up or that choice comes up that you're like, man, I really kind of want to go with my route on this. You're like, but remember that one time when I went with God's route and that seemed to work quite a bit better? Hmm, maybe that one is a good call. Okay? 
And so he says, and to goodness, knowledge, knowledge, self-control, self-control, perseverance, perseverance, godliness. Um, and we'll keep going. Godliness, brotherly kindness, brotherly kindness to love. I love that, the, that these end in this very relational way of thinking about spirituality, right? These things are meant ultimately to get us to treat people rightly uh, or right. I don't know which one is the right one there. Who knows? Who cares? Uh, for if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But if anyone does not, he is nearsighted and blind, has forgotten that he has been cleansed from his past sins. Therefore, my brothers, be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure, for if you do these things, you will never fall. You'll receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So, uh, our knowledge and uh, in our experience of God. So, one of the things that we'll really try to do in our series, I'm sort of setting the bar here, uh, is try to make sense of both of these things. What does this look like in our understanding of who God is to really grow in our knowledge of who he is. Just like anybody else, we grow in a greater appreciation of who God is. A lot of us enter into the kingdom of God with a very dull understanding of who God is. We enter in for all our own reasons. We were lonely. We needed friends. We were pretty corrupt, and we needed a stable you know, place to go. We were, you fill in the blank. But I don't know if too many of us come to God initially with a really rich and, and full understanding of who he is. Our faith is pretty weak. It's based on a lot of things that are more self-interested than we would care to think about. But a way we grow in terms of our faith is through our constant study of who God is and our willingness to, in our study of who he is, obey him and experience him in a daily way. And we need to broaden our understanding of what it means to really experience God. Because we've, we've really narrowed this a little too much. Narrowed it to a quiet time. And is prayer a great way to experience God? You better believe it. It's the starting place. But is there a lot of other ways? Are there a lot of other ways to experience God? You better believe it. When you're working, you are experiencing God. Not just if you're doing a great job. Even if you're having a good attitude about a terrible job that you're doing. <laughs> so long as you're putting your best effort in. You may be doing a terrible job. But God gave us work to do. And he very much cares about our work. When we're sitting with someone, talking, we're having a conversation excuse me, that goes against our personality type. I was hanging out with my motorcycle guys this morning because um, I'm cool like that. Um, and I have this tendency when I get around people like that um, to just – I have something in my mouth. Yeah, who knows what that was in the coffee? Okay. <laughs> To just talk about technical things. I'm a, I love technical-minded things don't bother me. They don't tax me. They don't hurt me. I just love talking about technical things. I could talk about te- – and by technical, I mean boring. No one knows what's going on except people who really – it's the jargon stuff we talked about weeks ago. And I just found myself this morning like all technical stuff. And then I thought to myself, I'm not learning anything about these guys except for their welding techniques. Um, I needed to like ask a question and then I got kind of like nervous and I just sort of sat there in silence for the next 30 minutes. <laughs> that was my morning. <laughs> like, what do I do? How do I start a conversation with some of them? You know, like I can always go the easy route and tell them I'm a minister, but generally when you tell people that you just get the weirdest reactions. And so I realized that, you know, I, 
I've got to get to know these guys quite a bit more before I can talk about you know, some of these things that are really much more personal to me. Not that I can't bring up conversations. I certainly can do that, and that's fine. But is that a part of me experiencing God this morning? You know, being on mission in this place where I'm trying to kind of be the gospel to those people around me. Rather than just talking about technical things, I'm actually trying to consider what's in their best interest. Um, and one of the main reasons I go, right, other than to learn technical things, is to really build relationships and friendships with people who have a common interest to me. But that's certainly an experience of God. In some ways, it's probably more worshipful uh, than some of the songs I'm going to sing this morning. And so we've got to kind of broaden our understanding of, of what qualifies as these experiences uh, of God. Okay, so how do we grow in our knowledge and experience of God? Well, I've already been talking about this, uh, you know, for the most part. Um, this is going to be our real question for our series, okay? Is how do we grow in our knowledge and in our experience of, of God? How do we grow in this? Both of these areas. Um, and I want you to just keep those two things kind of in your mind as we talk about this. You know, that if you fear yourself as you're one of those people who really loves knowledge and you love the security that comes from uh, knowledge, then, you know, you're going to have to really work to... What does it mean for me to really experience God in my daily life? And if you're one of those people that really kind of likes the experiences and, you know, and the knowledge side of things is a little weak, you're going to have to kind of bring yourself back to the balance of that. And we'll try to make that a, a point in each of our, uh, our talks to kind of, uh, you know, to make those really clear. And what does it look like as a result of this thing that we've learned about God? Um, how does that change how we experience God in our daily lives? Praise team, or actually, I think we're going to do communion. I'll, uh, I'll say a prayer for communion and for our talk, and then we'll, uh, we'll go into communion. Lord God, thank you so much for uh, the way that you use us to minister to each other. Thank you for the work that you're doing here. Will you just give us open eyes and uh, open ears to see and hear the things that you're doing? Give us a childlike understanding of the world. Um, we don't question everything, and... Uh, we're willing to accept new experiences and, and new ways of looking at the world. I just pray through this series that we would grow in depth in our faith in you. Um, that you would just help us to communicate how good and how great you are um, to people that we come in contact with. And to communicate that out of love and uh, truth and authenticity and not out of guilt and shame and uh, uh, sales pressure. Um, give us a sense of uh, what you're doing in and around us. Um, help us in our weakness and in our lack of um, noticing your handiwork. And, uh, and then help us to just believe in those things that we learn about you. Pray now as we uh, take communion that... Uh, that you would be honored by our conversation and um, by the love that we have for each other, by the experiences uh, that you've given us in relationship in here. And um, I just thank you so much for you know, giving us this incredible opportunity to be together and to be um, just a small part of your kingdom work here in Denton. We pray for all of the other churches in our city and um, ask that you would continue to um, grow them in the areas that you've given them mission to do and um, and that we would be a part of that and uh, be able to bless them. Lord, you're good, and we love you. Amen. Thanks for joining us for our sermon podcast. 
We would love for you to join us on Sunday morning or in one of our small groups during the week. And you can get more information about that at DentonNorthChurch.com.